Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, TCC. If you're new, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, you may open them to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today in our series, Paul, the Adventures in Adversity. And so this series is looking at the book of Acts through the lens of the Apostle Paul, looking at his life and his ministry. You know, Paul in Scripture says, "...imitate me as I imitate Christ." And to the degree that he does imitate Christ, we can learn from and glean from. As readers of the New Testament and as a primarily Gentile church, we are very much blessed by the words, deeds, and ministry of the Apostle Paul as God's chosen instrument, which is what God calls them in our passage today. So last week, we had our first brief introduction to Paul, who was also known as Saul, and it wasn't a very flattering introduction. We find Paul standing around, coldly watching and approving the death of Stephen. And that begins the persecution of the church and the persecution of Christianity, the persecution of the way, which Paul not only approves of, but zealously champions and instigates. But then something remarkable happens to him. He encounters Jesus, and his life is never the same. So let's look at this pivotal moment, Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. You know, as Christians, we love conversion stories. We love to hear how people came to know Christ and the effect that had on their lives in coming to saving faith in Christ. We love to hear that. We love to hear about transformed lives. We love to hear about conversions. And the more dramatic, the better. We really love those ones. Just to see radical transformation. To see the way that God can take the most broken, the most despondent, the most sinful of lives and just completely transform them by his presence in their lives. We love that. 
It's a powerful thing to hear these stories of drug addicts and prostitutes and gang members and criminals who encounter Christ and their lives are forever and positively changed. Those are powerful testimonies. And those are some of the testimonies of people within our congregation. And they're edifying testimonies and they're encouraging testimonies. Part of the reason we love those kinds of testimonies so much is because it validates the truth of the gospel. It's evidence for the truth of Christianity. They were one way. They encountered Jesus and then their lives are completely and objectively changed for the better. That's not nothing. You know, say what you will, but, but no one in the history of the world has ever had that kind of radical, positive transformation due to the tenets of atheism. No one has ever had their lives changed like that because they encountered naturalism or materialism. But that is the case with Christianity. People have undeniably had radical, positive, completely life-altering transformation once they've encountered Jesus and began their walk with him. Those are powerful testimonies. Those are needed testimonies. But you know, sometimes I, I think that we can peddle Christianity the same way we try to sell gym equipment. You know, we all love before and afters, and the more radical, the more dramatic, the better, right? You have the before image, got a big old gut, then purchase the equipment. After image, got a six pack, see? Right? Look at the befores, look at the afters, it works. So sign up for Christianity. You know, I think we can fall into that. But that is really not Paul's conversion. It's dramatic. It's very dramatic. It's life-altering. And he is radically and forever transformed. But if you're just looking at the before and afters of Paul's life, it's not terribly appealing. Before, he was coming in power and authority. After, humbled, powerless, helpless being led by the hand like a child. And it doesn't get much better from there. Before, persecutor. After, persecuted. I don't know many who are going to want to sign up for that. Before, safe and secure. After, in danger everywhere he goes. Before, admired, respected. After, regarded as an apostate, despised and rejected by his own people. You know, the Pharisees that, that Paul probably really loved and admired and respected and who taught him probably regarded his life as a total failure. If they didn't have complete and total disdain for him, they might just regard him with pity. You know, he, he had so much going for him. He was zealous, showed so much promise before getting caught up in all this Jesus nonsense and then throws his life away. What a shame. What a waste. There's nothing on the surface. There's nothing superficial about this conversion that in any way is appealing. This is the start of Paul's adventures in adversity, which is probably the most pleasant way of saying suffering, his adventures in suffering. Now God is a little bit more forthright about it. Verse 16, I love this line. I'm captivated by this line. Verse 16, God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That is quite a statement. And we try to comfort ourselves with that. We say, well, that's just Paul. But Jesus says to all of his disciples in Matthew, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't sound appealing. 
Who would want to do that? Why would anyone want to do that? But here's what the Apostle Paul says about it, Philippians. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That's the real before and after of encountering Christ. It's radical, it's life-altering, it's transformative. But the transformation of encountering the risen Christ is about far more than some superficial betterment. Bettering your life is nice, but saving it is everything. Let's go back to that Matthew passage with Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Oh, Paul suffers mightily in his life, and he loses a lot. He loses his very life in the end, but he gains Christ. And because he's encountered Jesus, because he has the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, it's not even a question of whether or not it's a good trade. Paul says in Romans, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says in Philippians, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When you've been transformed by Jesus, then all of it, the good and the bad, the joys and the sufferings, whether in plenty or in want, hungry or well-fed, in every situation, it's a means for our good and God's glory. Again, in Philippians, Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If that doesn't make sense to you, then I'm not sure you've encountered the risen Christ. That's the real before and after of being transformed by Jesus. And far from being ashamed of his conversion, Paul boldly proclaims it and repeatedly. If you read through the book of Acts, this is not the last time you're going to hear this account. As Paul is witnessing, as he's evangelizing, he gives his testimony over and over again. Here's Paul in Acts chapter 22. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
and he tells the whole story. He gives his testimony. I'm not going to read it all because here it is again as Paul is witnessing to King Agrippa. Acts chapter 26. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me, constantly sharing his testimony and why. Well, I love this exchange with King Agrippa, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I prayed to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. He's in chains. He's suffered much as God said he would, but he's gained Christ. And when you encounter Jesus, when you have hold of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, then isn't it only natural to want to share it? So why don't we? Uh, Why is it so difficult for so many of us? We can say gifting, right? It says in Scripture that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Those are different roles, different functions within the body of Christ. And in our passage, Paul is specifically called for this very purpose. Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God does call people to specific ministry. He does gift us and equip us differently. But all of us are called to be ambassadors of Christ. All of us are Christ's witnesses. All of us are to be apologists, defenders of the faith. All of us are to be salt and light. We are called to be disciples and to make disciples. And our reluctance to do that, I think, is directly connected to the degree to which we've encountered Jesus. Now, if you struggle with evangelism, I'm not doubting your conversion. I'm in the same boat as you. In fact, I'm the captain of the boat. And we all sit around and and comfort ourselves with talk of predestination and election and Calvinism. I get it. I'm not doubting your sincerity of faith or the assurance of your salvation. And we all grow in our sanctification. But here's what I'm saying. Have you ever noticed that those people who have those amazing conversion stories are so often really great evangelists? And our answer to that will probably be something like, well, yeah, that's because they have such a great testimony. I don't have a great testimony. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian household. I was told about Jesus from a young age. I was a pretty good kid, didn't get into too much trouble. I came to saving faith at a young age, so it wasn't very dramatic. Oh, see, there's the problem. I really don't think that it's remarkable 
that a sinner was saved by grace. It's amazing grace when it comes to them, not so amazing when it comes to me. See, that's the problem. I'm not seeing myself well enough because I'm not seeing Jesus well enough. You know, I think a lot of us are quite a lot like Paul, you know, religious, grown up in the faith, holding fast to traditions and customs, zealous for doctrine, serving God in our power and our strength. That's what Paul thought, wasn't it? On his way to Damascus, that he was serving God, but he's persecuting him. You know, Paul, in some sense, is not blinded on the road to Damascus. Paul has been blind, and this is just the first moment that he realizes it, because he saw Jesus. And when we see Jesus for who he really is, we see ourselves for who we really are in light of him. You know, listen to Paul's description of this again in Acts chapter 26. I love this. Jesus says this to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's Paul's literal experience of evangelism. Ananias coming to him, sent by God to open his eyes, to turn him from darkness to light, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and to be sanctified by faith alone. You know, there's a song by the Hill and Wood called The Disciple that always makes me think of Paul. In fact, I'm not sure, but I think it is about him. It says, I was given a path, but it did not seem the way. I was given a home, But in its comfort, I did not stay because I've been given a chance to give it all away so I don't have to pay. No, I don't have to pay. I was told my religion, it did not feel very right. I learned my lesson, but then I lost my sight. So I forgot all the words I was told to memorize. I put my heart back in place. And with it, my eyes. I put my heart back in place, and with it, my eyes. Paul's life is changed when he sees Jesus. When he sees the darkness of his eyes and the crookedness of his heart in the light of his glory and grace. And it changes everything. It's the reason he considers all of his former worldly standings and accomplishments as nothing but garbage. It's why he can be content in every and all circumstances. It's why he can boldly proclaim that to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's the reason he can suffer much for the name of Jesus. Maybe that's a bit of an overstatement. Because the truth is, it's not one moment of seeing God that changes things for Paul. Something else happens to him that we shouldn't overlook. Let's, let's go back to verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Paul receives the Holy Spirit. It's not one moment of seeing God. When we come to saving faith in Jesus, that's the start, not the end. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and the Holy Spirit continually shows us God. 
and shows us ourselves, convicts us, reproves us. He spurs us on. He encourages us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, opens our ears to hear the words of God, softens our hearts to be receptive to it. The Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit is what brings us from before to the after. The Spirit deepens our knowledge, enriches our understanding, and broadens our love. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak and to share. The Holy Spirit sustains us and comforts us in the midst of sorrow and suffering. The Spirit of God is walking with us, living with us. Look back at verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. That's not a detached statement. That's not aloof or above It's not, why are you persecuting my followers or why are you persecuting my people? It's, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's a personal statement. And at this moment, it's condemning Paul. But how comforting must these words be when Paul faces his own persecution? To remember that he's not alone. Our God suffered for us and he suffers with us. We meet Jesus, but then we walk with him. And he takes us by the hand, and he leads us through the adventures and adversity, and in the end, takes us safely to him for his glory and our good forever. That's the before and the after. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.